Good morning. Hey, I've, um, I've entitled this message, The Greatest Fight of All Time. And uh, if you were to Google that phrase, uh, you'd get an argument between people saying it's between Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier, the fight of the century, all the way back to 1971. Some of you weren't even born then. Uh, 15 rounds for the heavyweight champion of the world. Other people would go, no, no, no. It's the fight between Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao, these guys that that went, you know, the distance. That's the fight of the century. Others would say, no, it's these guys named Arturo Gotti and Mickey Ward. And if you're a boxing fan, you know what I'm talking about. If you're not, you're like, what are you talking about? These, these, these fighters that fought, you know, in this, this ring and all, all this blood, all this passion, all this um, endurance going on. And people were like, that, those were the fights of the century. But none of those were the fight of the century. The fight of the century happened when I was in the second grade. I'm coming out of Valley View Elementary School in Germantown, Ohio for recess coming out onto the playground, and there's this big ring of people out by the tennis courts, and everyone's yelling, fight, fight. So I run out like everybody else, and I'm the, one of the last guys there, and so I'm, I'm little. And so I climb up the chain link fence, you know, how they have on the tennis courts, they have those high chain link fences, and I look down on this circle, and oh my gosh, two fifth grade girls I remember saying to myself, don't ever get into a fight with a girl. Because when guys fight, man, you know, we're, we're boxing and we're hitting each other in the face and the, in the chest. And girls, they pull hair. They, they smack your knee in your face. They bite. They claw. And it's just like hair flying everywhere. And I just remember, don't ever get into a fight with a girl. It's like they don't fight fair, you know. And I'm like, that was... But no, that, even that wasn't the most, the greatest fight in the world, nor was it when I almost died, literally died, because me and my friend Billy got attacked by these four or five guys from the next town over with baseball bats. Yeah, I took a couple blows, so did Billy. I thought I was going to die that night. No, none, none of those fights were the greatest fight of all time. Actually, the greatest fight of all time is in the Bible. Actually, it's listed it's, re- it's recorded three times and referred to several others. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4, it's the greatest fight of all time. And uh, it is this fight between Jesus. You're like, whoa, where did Jesus get into a fight? Turn to Luke chapter 4 and you'll see. And when you found it, how about if you stand to your feet? It's this fight between Jesus and a formidable foe called Diablo. That's, that's the name in, in Greek. Diablo, we know him as the devil. And I'm, I'm gonna just, uh, if you got chapter four open, you can see the whole chapter, it starts off with these first 13 verses about the temptation of Christ or the, the testing of Christ. We're starting a new series today. I'm just gonna cover the first two verses. So all I'm gonna read is verses one and two A, and then next week we'll We'll look at some more, but here we go. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days, that's how long this fight lasted, he was tempted by the devil. Okay, you can be seated. And if 
we were to imagine a boxing ring. Of course, you don't have to imagine because I got it right up there. And kind of superimpose this text right over top of the boxing ring. You'd get Jesus in one corner and you'd get the devil in the other. I'll just make it real clear. There we are, Jesus and the devil. And I'm not trying to make fun. I'm just trying to help you see you know, what a fight this is. And it's, but it's not a boxing match with points being scored. This is a death match. This is to the end. And yet, it's not quite the death match, but it's, it's, it's close to it. And, and there's blows being taken. Jesus is getting pummeled. And this, this whole thing is about Jesus being tempted by the devil. And uh, sometimes when people hear this story or read this story, because Matthew tells the same story almost word for word. Mark refers to it. The book of Hebrews refers to it. Sometimes people are like, well, yeah, but... You know, Jesus is God, so how hard could it have been? I mean, are, is God and the devil really duking it out? And this is where our theology really helps us. Yes, Jesus is God, but he's also fully man. And him being fully man does not distract, detract at all from his full humanity. In other words, the reality of the temptation is something that's very significant. Jesus was tempted. He felt that temptation. I mentioned the the writer of the Hebrews. He says that because Jesus, because he himself suffered. Now, the suffering begins, if you've ever tried to fast for longer than a week, I have. It's suffering after a week. The suffering begins in the desert, in the wilderness, where he hadn't been eating but then it's this, this temptation that's going on. So the writer says he suffered when he was tempted, and that language helps us see that Jesus experienced the, the reality of that. It, this is not just a story. It's not a myth. It's not a fable. Jesus, the human being, 100% human, experienced what we're reading, what we're going to read the next couple of weeks, the reality of this temptation. But... Not only does he know how it feels, but it, the writer says, he, because he himself suffered, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Who's that? Okay, who's that? That's us. I, maybe you guys don't get tempted. Maybe it's just me, <laughs> but I don't think so. And I love this because this is not just a, a record of something that happened in history where Jesus was tempted, and we look at it and we go, wow, that's, that's, that's powerful, woo. No, one of the reasons why I call this the greatest fight of all time, it's not just because of the formidable foes. It's not because of the, just because of the length of the fight, the battle, but because the stakes of this fight still endure today. In other words, what the victory that Jesus won impacts us today. When you and I are tempted, we are not victims because Jesus felt that, because he suffered, and because he won. He is able, amen, to help us, not if we get tempted, but when we get tempted. And that's why this series is called Fighting for Your Life. That's why I love what we're about to talk about because not we're gonna watch how Jesus dealt with this, but there's gonna be all kinds of cues to help us because I have a feeling there's a number of you 
who feel like the temptations that you're in are irresistible. You've given in too many times. They have such power over you that when they come, it's just like, we whatever, you know, it's just, I'll get it over with, I'll give in, I'm thank God for grace. And you just kind of lay down like some wuss and let Satan just have his way with you. But that is not the way for people who are filled with the Spirit, who are followers of Jesus. Jesus was not a wuss, and his followers, can I say wuss in church? And his followers are not to be wusses. If you don't know what that short that means, you can look it up in the dictionary, or at least the urban dictionary probably has it. Um, We're not to just lay down and just give up. Jesus has gone before us, the victor, the mighty warrior, the champion of the world, right? He's gone before us and he is able to help us. And there's so much help available. Since we're in Hebrews, let's turn two more chapters to Hebrews chapter four. For the writer says, we do not have a high priest, and this is a reference to Jesus. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. We saw that. He felt what we feel. He knows what it feels like. He was, those temptations were real to him. But we have one who has been tempted in every way. The, the temptations that Jesus went through, not just in the desert, in the wilderness, but throughout his life, they're the representative of every temptation we go through. Remember this. He's been tempted in every way, just as we are, except he did not sin. He fought the battle of the temptation with the, the evil one, not just in the, in the desert, but throughout his life, ongoing onslaught and never sinned. So that might be something that's worth some of you hearing. Temptation itself is not sin. It's giving in. Sometimes people think that because they're tempted, that's sin. No, because Jesus was tempted and yet did not sin. There's a difference between being tempted and giving in. I like what this guy named Frederick Wood says. Temptation is not sin. It is a call to battle which is why you can write down, temptation, whenever you face it, is a fight for your life. I think some of you realize it's a fight, it's a battle, but is the preacher exaggerating when he says it's a fight for your life? What do I mean by that? Well, I'm not the only one who believes that. The Bible teaches that. Paul, in Ephesians chapter six, talks about this war, this battle that we're in with the devil, So he says, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. That's the temptations and that's the the sly moves that he makes, all the different ways he disguises things, the onslaught, the attacks, the tricks, the deceit, all of that. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, right? Right? This is, this is the fight that we're in. It's not something I can tag somebody in the face and feel, oh, I got him. No, we're fighting not against flesh and blood enemies, but what? Against the, 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 the powers of the devil himself, against his demons, against his onslaught against us. So this fight for your life literally is against the gates of hell itself and all of the devil's evil demons. And some of you are like, do you really believe that? Yes, I do for several reasons. The first one is because Jesus believed in it. He cast demons out of people. 
demons spoke in the Bible. I believe it's real. And secondly, I've seen the horrific effects of people being possessed by, the de- by a demon and oppressed. And I've had the weird and bizarre experience of exercising demons out of people, praying out demons out of a house. I'm, I'm not exaggerating. I'm not some wacko. I'm just saying this is real. Jesus knew it was real, and I believe anybody who walks closely with Jesus realizes there is a spirit world out there that you can't see that is real, and you're a fool if you think it's just a story, if it's just something somebody made up. You're a victim already. So so recognizing that this is real and that the fight we're in is a fight for your life is what I want you to help help you see. And you say, well, what? How is a little temptation or even a big temptation, how is that a fight for my life? Well, let me be clear. It's not a fight for, you know, whether you're going to get saved or, you know, get eternal life or keep eternal life. In other words, if you're, when you're fighting temptation, when you're fighting against the devil, you're not fighting to win your salvation. That fight's already been won. Come on, right? You're not fighting to win your salvation. It's already happened. Jesus won that fight on the cross. We just celebrated that last week. So can I lose my salvation? No, you're not fighting to keep your salvation. You're not fighting to keep your eternal life. It's already a done deal if you're a follower of Jesus. Then, Then what are you fighting? This is so good. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for showing me this. You're fighting the attack on the abundant life that Jesus came, died for, and promised for you. But as a pastor for over 30 years, I've got to say, I rarely see people living into all of the abundance that Jesus died for them to have. What I too often see is people reading about the abundant life but not experiencing it. Instead, Christians limping along, in some cases, cowering as they walk through their Christian life, limping through life, hardly making it, an easy prey for temptation, just feeling like, I'm a victim, there's nothing I can do about this. And the abundant life that Jesus promised we don't taste. We don't push for. Where are the people that are pressing into the promise that Jesus made? Why do so many of us just settle for this is just the way it is? Best I can do is make as much money as I can, have as much fun as I can on the weekend, try to make this life as good as possible, and hang on until Jesus comes back and I get to go to heaven. That is not what Jesus had in mind. There is an eternal kind of life, an abundant life that Jesus has promised for you. And I'm not talking about your best life now and all that that means. And I I, I wish that phrase had never been used for that book because it's a good phrase, but dangerous teaching. I'm just, just telling you. I'm talking about the life that Jesus talks about, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this following Jesus leaning into him, living surrender to him, letting him be Lord of your life and and taking him at his word and joining the adventure, the adventure of following Jesus and selling out to him. That's the abundant life. 
And that's why we need to pay close attention to what Jesus does when he's tempted. Because friends, you can fight against temptation and win. Two people believe that. Do you, do you believe that you, I mean, you may believe that I can. I need to preach this to myself too. You may believe that the people who shouted hallelujah do, but do you? Seriously, not a rhetorical question. If I could grab each one of you by the lapels, do you believe you can fight temptation and win? Because you can. How? Well, Jesus shows the way. Let's go back to our text. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. That, that phrase, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, it's, it's contrasts this being tempted by the devil. And doesn't it look to you, you look at your text, look at this one, doesn't it look to you like, what Luke is writing, he's the guy that wrote this, doesn't it look like the Spirit of God, that's, that's the Spirit here, the Holy Spirit, is leading Jesus into the, te- the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? Doesn't that look like that? Really? You don't see that? You're, you're afraid to say that. Because surely the Holy Spirit wouldn't lead us into temptation. Didn't Jesus teach us to pray and lead us not into temptation. So, I mean, what are we going to do with this passage? Well, let's just, for, for now, we'll come out like that. Let's, let's look at these two contrasts. And, and here's the big word I want to just focus on. Because this, the, the, the secret to understanding this, the, 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 the gift to understanding how this works is to recognize that in the Greek, this word tempted means both to tempt and to test. Same exact word. In English, we've got two words. We have the word tempt and we have the word test. Real easy to see the difference between tempting and testing. And as we're reading it in English, we're like, okay, that's a test, that's tempting. There's the word. But in Greek, it's the same word, parazo. I don't know, should I translate this word tempt or should I translate it test? It's actually a really good question. And the context will help us But this is also going to help us get at the purpose of what's happening in the temptation. So write that down, the purpose of temptation, because there's a purpose that the devil has, and there's a purpose that God has. Let's just take these apart. Satan's purpose is very clear. He, parazzo, tempts us to defeat us. That's the fight. He tempts us to discourage us. That's the fight. That's the ongoing wear you down into the 15th round, and then you're easy to knock over. It's it's just to wear you down, to discourage you, so he can defeat you. But here's the most important thing. See, Satan is not trying to kill you. In fact, he can't. He he cannot physically take your life. And in, in reality... Satan's temptations are really not about you anyway. Satan's temptations, his attacks, his destruction, his accusations, all of his fight is about his war with God. And you are God's children 
Come on, moms and dads. What's the best way to get at you? Do something to your kids. Hit me. Do it to me. But don't do it to my kids. We protect our kids. And so Satan knows he can't kill God. He can't really get at God. So he gets at God by getting at his children. You become the the attacked person, not because of you, but because of who you represent. You see this? This is important because this helps us see that God will fight for us because it's not Satan versus us. It's Satan versus Jesus. It's Satan versus the devil. It's Satan versus uh, the devil versus Jesus. And we're just kind of, you know, the, the, the punching bag. We're just kind of the ones that are there. This is gonna help us. He's trying to destroy our walk with God. That's what I mean when I say that he's trying to attack the abundant life. If he can beat you down, discourage you, deceive you, tempt you into getting distracted and thinking that the Christian life is just coming to church once in a while, uh, reading your Bible occasionally, um, having a couple prayers in your back pocket and being a nice person, then he's won because that is not Christianity in the least. Again, it's this adventure of following Jesus, walking with Jesus and living into the abundance and the adventure that Christ has for us. So he tries to destroy not our life, but our walk with God. We'll, we'll, we'll talk more about this. So I said there's, there's also a God's purpose. So Satan's purpose is to tempt us. God uses temptation to test us. These two words again, again, parazzo, it's the same word. Satan is tempting us to destroy our walk with God. God's testing us in that temptation. Let me show you this passage from James chapter one. Because people are like, well, how do I know that God's not tempting me? Because James says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. By the way, each time you see this word tempting here, it's this word parazzo. God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So when God is doing parazzo on you, he's testing you. Satan is using that to destroy you. What's God doing? Well, he is testing you because this is his process. These are, again, all these three are the same words. James 1.13, God has not tempted anyone. Our passage in Luke chapter one, and then Jesus speaking, using the exact same word in John chapter six, verse six, he's said this to test the person he was talking to. So I'm just trying to help you see how this word parazzo is test and attempt, and, and, and Satan is using it for one thing and God is using it for another. And I want you to understand that God is more powerful. And so his purpose to test us is what we wanna pay attention to. He is, um, he's trying to prepare us. We just finished a series called Prep Time. And we talked about how the first couple chapters of Luke are about God preparing the world for Jesus, John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus, and God preparing Jesus for a life of ministry. Prep time, prep time. Well, we're still in Luke chapter four, we're still in prep time, but instead of making this series longer, I broke it into a new series about fighting for your life, but helping you see that, that, that what God's doing in testing, what God's doing in Luke four, what God is doing when the Satan is tempting Jesus is that God is testing Jesus. 
He's testing him to prepare him. And he does the same thing for us. He's preparing us for something greater because we need to learn to conquer in this temptation so we can be prepared for the next one, which will be bigger, stronger, greater. He's preparing us. He's deepening us. And he's strengthening our walk with him. See the contrast? The devil is trying to destroy our walk. It may feel like all you're doing is being tempted, but what I want you to help you see is that in that temptation, God is using it as a test to trust in him. You can write this down. Every temptation is a test of our trust in God. And therefore, because every temptation is a test, That means every temptation that you've ever been in and the ones that you are gonna be in today and the ones you're gonna be in tomorrow and the next day and the next day, every one of those temptations is an opportunity. What an interesting way of looking at temptation. It's an opportunity for me to learn to trust God. It's an opportunity for me to grow stronger. Look at these two phrases I've highlighted. Every temptation is a test Every temptation is an opportunity. And and when you can begin to see that the temptation you're in, whether it's a small one or whether it feels like all the, the fury of hell has been poured out upon you, if you can recognize and remember this temptation is a test and therefore an opportunity for me to trust God, to grow in God, it changes everything. And this is what's happening in Luke chapter four. This is what's happening in the wilderness because that's the next phrase I wanna pay attention to. He was, Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness. This is a fascinating word for for multiple reasons. And this, I I wanna draw out some truth here because this is the setting of temptation. Every time you're being tempted, Satan has chosen that setting if you've got your Bibles open, at the end of this passage, it says Satan left him until a more opportune time. Satan looks for the right setting, the right circumstances, the, the most opportune time to hurt you, discourage you, defeat you, tempt you, destroy you. In the same way, God is looking for opportunities to teach us to trust him. So let's pull back and let's, let's notice some things about the setting here because it's doubtful that you are gonna be walking into a wilderness physically anytime soon. In fact, actually in the English language, we use the the word wilderness multiple different ways. One of them refers to a a wooded, uncultivated uh, area. Those of of people who have been with John, Pastor John Jacobs to the Red River Gorge, that's what this is. You're like, wow, I've been there. John's leading a bunch of guys tomorrow, so I, I think it's too late to sign up now, but he's leading a bunch of guys tomorrow down in Kentucky to go into the wilderness of all this dense woods and rocks and it's beautiful and, and it's, you know, there's all these wilderness areas in our country. And so sometimes these are just gorgeous and the United States has marked it off. That's a wilderness area that no cultivation, no development, nobody can live there. It's just a, it's a protected place and it's usually beautiful. And, you know, it's, I was, since I was talking about John doing a, leading a trip, I'm leading a discipleship retreat that's not like seven hours away. It's only 40 minutes away. It's in a couple of weeks on a Saturday. This is a quarry 
in Castilla, and it has a feel of wilderness. And I actually do a teaching. If you'll come with me, sign up. You can see it on the, your bulletin there. It, the, I'll do is a teaching about an area there and how God, God teaches us in the wilderness. It's a cool teaching. You got to sign up for it. That's off-road discipleship retreat. It's a couple weeks on Saturday from 8.30 to 12. Just text OFFRO. Okay, so you can't go down to the guys down in Kentucky, but men and women can join me on this disciples retreat. I've done like, I think, 15 of these. So um, join us. If you, but if you've gone before, you want to come again, that's fine. But the wilderness that John's taking guys into and the, the little wilderness that I'm taking people into in a couple weeks are nothing like the wilderness that Jesus went into. Um, I've taken people into this one as well. It's called the Judean wilderness. When I take people to Israel, in the past, we've driven by and on the edge of the wilderness, but the last time I took people to Israel, we drove into the wilderness. And, and the, we got this big old bus, and the bus driver's like, we're going in there? I'm like, yeah, baby, we're going in there. And I look, the tour guide's like, can we do this? I'm like, sure. So we drove into the wilderness, and then we got out, and I did a teaching there, and we just got to experience a little bit, a little bit, because we were in an air-conditioned bus. And uh, when we got hot and irritable, we all went back into the air-conditioned bus. Jesus, well, as far as I know, Jesus didn't have an air-conditioned bus. I mean, maybe he did. I, I don't think so. And so, you know, some of these pictures that, of the Judean wilderness, it's, it, it's barren, it's dry, it's, 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 it's isolated. And Sometimes we use the word wilderness in the English language to refer to a time of barrenness in our life, a time of dry, I don't feel like I'm, I can hear God anymore. I'm in a wilderness. I don't have a job and I can't seem to get one. I feel like I'm in a wilderness. I'm in a relationship with a person that's just, it used to be so flourishing and so awesome, but now it just feels like I'm in a wilderness. I don't know what to do. I'm confused. So that word that we've coined to use to refer to a time of discouragement, of barrenness, of dryness, is a, an excellent word that comes from the Dead Sea Judean wilderness area. And these are wilderness times. It's interesting that the devil did not come to tempt Jesus when he was by the Sea of Galilee. Well, he probably did, but not like this. He gets Jesus into the wilderness where he's hungry. We'll talk about that next week, where he's, it's, it's hot, and it's, it's and, and surprisingly, hot during the day and cold at night. For 40 days, Jesus is in the wilderness. And I just want to ch challenge you, pay attention to the wilderness times in your life. Maybe there are weeks and months, maybe it's just an afternoon where you just feel empty. You just, you're, you're burned out, you're exhausted, you feel depleted. These wilderness times are, are times where we feel depleted. That is often a setting for some of the devil's temptations. Be aware of that. Yeah, there are times when he tempts you when things are going great, but you're especially vulnerable when you are depleted. So literally, pay attention to your emotions. Pay attention to how much sleep you're getting. Pay attention to how fast you're running, your pace in life. Pay attention to those things because when you're running a million miles an hour, you could find out all of a sudden you found yourself in a wilderness because you're depleted and then you start feeling isolated. 
These physical things that Jesus experienced, you might experience emotionally. And I believe that the physical depletion and the physical isolation Jesus felt was added to by the emotional depletion and the isolation. So he's become a a very vulnerable target for the devil, just like you are when you don't pay attention to your pace and how things are going in your life. Let's keep moving. Because in the broader context of this is not only the wilderness, but if you've got your Bibles open or if you remember the last couple of weeks, the last time we were in Luke, what was happening? Jesus was being baptized, right? Um, Says in verse one, Jesus full of the Holy Spirit left the Jordan. What happened at the Jordan? That's the baptism. That's where Jesus joined well, actually, let me just show you the passage in, in Luke 3.21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. We preached about this two weeks ago. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit, there he is again, descended on him, not in him, on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. We got Father, Son, and Spirit, the Trinity right here. God says, the Father says, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. This is an exhilarating experience. This is an exciting time in the life of Jesus. And it's fascinating that sometimes the devil attacks us in the wilderness and sometimes he attacks us on the heels of an exhilarating, exciting time, like the heavens being opened and God the Father speaking to Jesus, saying, I love you, son. I love you. With you, I am well pleased. Let's not rush past this. Pay attention to wilderness times when you're tired, depleted, isolated. Pay attention to exciting mountaintop experience times. We call it the Elijah syndrome. You can read 1 Kings 17, 18, 19. You can see what I'm talking about. On the mountaintop, incredible victory. And then the next thing you know, he's in a depression and he is being tempted. So, okay, we've, we've talked about the reality of temptation, the purpose of temptation, the setting of temptation. Uh, and remember, when we talked about the purpose, I said I would come back to this, that Satan's purpose is to tempt us. God's purpose is to test us. And God's purpose in, or Satan's purpose in, te- in tempting us is to defeat us, discourage us, destroy our walk with God. A little bit of review. God's purpose is to test us, to prepare us, to deepen us, Now let me come back, like I promised, to this phrase, to strengthen our walk with him. In the reality, in the purpose, in the the setting of temptation, while the devil's trying to destroy us, discourage us, defeat us, pay attention, God is using that very trial, that parazzo, to prepare us, deepen us, to strengthen our walk with him. So you could write this down, that the effects of temptation, that in every temptation, you strengthen or weaken these three areas. You know, I'm walk through these, but I just kind of let that sit for a second. These are the effects of every temptation. Not one here, one there. Every temptation, small ones and big ones, Either you're going to strengthen one of these three areas or you're going to weaken one of these three areas. There's no neutral. So let's talk about this because this is happening in Jesus and it's happening in you. 
what, gets, what is the first area of these three that can be strengthened or weakened in every temptation? The first one is your intimacy with God. Now, notice, I'm not saying, like I said earlier in the sermon, this is not whether you're going to get salvation or lose salvation. You're, you're saved. You're walking with God. But when you give in to temptation, your sense of God's presence gets affected. Your sense of intimacy with God gets affected. And you feel like God has left you. It feels like God has moved. God hasn't moved. You've moved. God is with you even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But this is what it feels like. When you give in to temptation, you step away. You create a barrier. And the intimacy that you have with God, again, this is, this is kind of an emotional thing. It's a, it's a subjective thing. You sense God's presence. Don't you agree that sometimes you sense God's presence and he's close, and other times you don't sense God's presence? Someone shake their head like you know what I'm talking about. Do you? Okay, okay. Just checking. Um, I do. There's times when I, whoo, God just feels so close. And there's times like I'm like, where are you, God? Now, theologically, I know he's with me, but I don't feel that. And that can be sometimes because I gave into temptation. It might be God's testing me a different way. It might just be, you know, my biorhythms are off. But, but, but it, for sure, if I give into temptation, if I sin, I create a sense of a felt distance. You know what I'm talking about. And Satan loves that moment. That's where he pounds. Because see, Satan's greatest moment is not in the temptation he's mounting against you. His greatest moment is when you've given in to the temptation and then he just pummels you, you loser. You think God loves you? You can't even fight one temptation. Here you go again. You've fallen again. You are worthless. God is so fed up with you. And he attacks you and he accuses you. Watch what he does. He takes the truth, yes, Satan takes truth. You sinned. And then he mixes it in with lies. You're worthless. You aren't, you, you, God can't trust you. You're nothing. Why even follow God? I'm trying to be as mean and angry as I can right here because that's what Satan does. And he beats you up. He discourages you by taking the truth you sinned and mixing it with lies that you'll never be able to walk with God. You might as well give up right now. You have failed here too many times. Give up. It really isn't worth it anyway because God is so fed up with you. And that is his greatest hour. That's where his biggest onslaught comes for you and I. And that intimacy that begins to get distant when we give in to temptation needs to be paid attention to. Remember, we said every temptation is a test, is an opportunity to strengthen your intimacy. This is where I want to focus on. You literally sense a deeper strength happening in you when you face temptation in the strength of God and win. 
And the more you do it, the stronger you get. The more you sense God's presence. Is God literally getting closer to you? No, he's closer than the air you breathe. But your awareness, your sense of that intimacy is strengthened and you feel God. And there's nothing wrong with feeling God. It's beautiful. That's what heaven's gonna be. You're gonna feel him all the time. This intimacy is a huge issue. But also in every temptation, you can either strengthen or weaken your trust in God. Because remember, this is not ultimately about you. It's about Satan trying to attack God, attack Jesus. So he's trying to get at God. So, so when temptation comes, you are being challenged. Will you trust God? We're going to see this a little bit more tomorrow and the next week. Will you trust God? And that trust is strengthened or weakened. Next thing, your ability to fight that temptation. The more you win, the stronger you get. <laughs> the more you give in, the weaker you get. These three areas, pay attention to these because these are the effects of temptation that happen in every scenario in which you're tempted and whether or not you're going to win or lose that battle. So let's finish by, by we're going to do this over the next four weeks, but let's, let's just talk about what are some ways we can win? How, how do we defeat this temptation, okay? Uh, what did Jesus do? Verse 4, verse 8, verse 12. Same exact thing. Many people have pointed this out, and we're going to talk about this next week, the week after, and the week after that as we give one week to each one of the three temptations. We're going to see the same thing happen each time. Jesus didn't argue with the devil. Could have could have nailed his butt against the wall, could have used his brilliant logic. He's God after all. He doesn't do that. He could have trashed Satan, could have been a trash talk right there in the desert. Jesus doesn't go after that. He's not a very good basketball player Um, because you have to trash talk in order to be a good basketball player usually. Um, uh, He he doesn't um, bargain with the devil. He doesn't threaten the devil. He doesn't power up. Really interesting. Jesus has got one weapon. He uses it again and again. He answered, it, it's like this is thundering. It is written. What does he mean when he says it's written? It's written in the word of God. In other words, Jesus is quoting the Bible. I love the New Living Translation, which translates these phrases. And Jesus replied, the scriptures say. So whenever you see the phrase, it is written, it's referring to the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus Quotes the word of God three times in a row. That's his defense. But a lot of people miss this because this is good. And we'll talk more about this in the weeks to come. But there's another thing that's hiding here that seems like everybody misses. And that is, in our phrase, he was led by the spirit. Remember how we asked the question, is it into? Well, if you could read Greek, you would see that this word is not the word into. It's the word in, like the ESV. He was led by the spirit while he's in the wilderness. Do you see the difference between the Spirit's leading him to go in and the difference between that and while he's in, the Spirit's leading him in the wilderness? Aha, there's the secret. If in fact the Spirit does lead him into, he's gonna provide a way out. But the key here that Luke is helping us see is that while Jesus is being tempted, 
while he's being pummeled by the devil, the Spirit is leading Jesus. The Spirit is helping Jesus. He's being led by the Spirit to find a way out. And what is the Spirit leading him to do? The Spirit is leading him to quote the Word of God because that's where the power is. Because the Spirit of God and the Word of God are are your two biggest weapons, the most powerful weapons you have in your fight against the devil and in all of his temptations. And we saw this in Ephesians when we saw that Paul says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, not your own, put on the full armor of God we talked about so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes And then he says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, as we saw, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is what we're battling. And so how do we battle an enemy we can't punch in the mouth? How do we battle someone we can't touch with a sword? How do we fight a battle when we can't see him? Verse 17, take up the sword of the Spirit. Did you notice The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Boom. In the story of Jesus being tempted, we see him using the Word of God and leaning in on the Spirit of God. He's using the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's what Jesus is doing. And that's what we must, must, must do. This is your only hope. You can't hide. You can't argue. You can't power up. You can't steal your will, and somehow fight off the evil one. If you think you can, he's going to come back even stronger. This is your weapons, the Word of God, welded by the Spirit of God. Amen? And and so notice one of the greatest verses for you to memorize, for you to write down, the Spirit of God prompted a guy named Paul to write the Word of God in a book we call 1 Corinthians, where he says, No temptation, some of you were waiting for this verse, has overtaken you except what is common to Jesus and the rest of humanity. And God is faithful. Come on, someone say amen. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Oh, that's amazing. Really? Yeah. No temptation is irresistible. He will not let you be tempted. That's the word of God. Bank on that beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, tested, tempted, he will also provide a way out. That's God's word. Memorize that verse because you, the spirit of God can't remind you of this verse if you've never memorized it. Put this in your arsenal. Put it in your backpack. Put it in your mind. This, this next week, all week, starting today, all week long, we're, we're memorizing a verse. That your word is a lamp under my feet and a light into my path. In that same Psalm, Psalm 119, he says, your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Hide this word. Memorize this word in your heart. I said we'd come back to this, the greatest fight of all time. And I said it was, the, it was the battle between Jesus and the devil in the desert. If that was the greatest fight of all time, it has two rounds, or it has a, a, a version two, and that would be the cross and the resurrection. On the cross, as we saw so powerfully last Good Friday, 
the devil thought he had finished Jesus. (laughs) But Jesus was not to be left dead forever. Three days later, that's what Easter is about. He was raised from the dead. And Paul says that same power, this is so incredible. Jesus fought the devil and won. He fought with the power of the spirit and that same power is at work in you. This is not your power. This is the resurrection power of God that God breathed into the dead body of Jesus and he came alive. That resurrection power is at work in you to help you fight against temptation. And it says in 1 John, greater is he, that's the spirit of God in you, than he, that's the small each, that's the devil, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Jesus fought in the desert for you, won for you. He fought on the cross and won for you. And God validated it all at the resurrection. And he will come back to finish it all when he comes back. And he says to you now, let me fight for you. Use my word. Breathe in my spirit. Do what I did. Let the word of God and the spirit of God be your weapons as you step into the ring the next time you're tempted. Amen? You're not powerless. Temptation is not irresistible. You are more than a conqueror through him who loved you. Jesus won for you. Now stand in that victory. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are a fighter. Sometimes people picture you as this kind little man, little this young man who's just sensitive and warm and like a little shepherd, but you are kind and you are tender, but you are a warrior. You are the champion and you are a mighty warrior and you fought for us and you won and you will win every battle. So we look to you, strong one, We look to you, mighty warrior. We look to you, an athlete of greatest proportions. We look to you, king of kings and lord of lords. You are our champion. And we say, Lord, do battle for us again. Do battle with us. And I pray for everyone hearing my voice in all of our campuses. God, your children, disciples of you, Lord Jesus, who love you, Help them in these days of battle. Help them in these days of war with the evil one and all of his his minions. Fight for us because the battle belongs to you. For we pray in your name, amen.